Chapters sixteen and seventeen of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter sixteen. Allez, soyez heureuse. Oubliez-moi bien vite comme le chérubin oublia le lévite qu'il avait vu passer et traverser les cieux. The emotions of that afternoon in Tadmore churchyard proved a little too much for Miss Chamney's strength, and she was confined to her room next morning with a severe headache. Perhaps, too, she shrank somewhat from a meeting with the doctor. All the easy familiarity of their past intercourse was over. She dreaded any allusion to that hopeless passion which gave him a new character in her mind. He was no longer the safe, middle-aged friend, a kind of adopted uncle. All future companionship with him must be fraught with fear. The morning after the picnic, disagreeably distinguished from all other mornings by Flora's absence, was spent by the three gentlemen in a somewhat desultory manner. Mr. Chamney lay on the sofa by the open window, reading yesterday's papers. The doctor went for a purposeless ramble on the cliff, intending to return at noon to write letters in the little room behind the drawing-room, which had been given up to his use. Walter went down to the beach to sketch and smoke for an hour or two, after his lazy holiday-making fashion. The doctor walked far, following the irregular line of the coast, across cornfield and fallow, pasture and common land. The spot where he halted was the wildest, most desolate bit of the landscape, an angle where the cliff rose highest, and the descent, although not absolutely sheer, was steep enough to make the lonely wanderer recoil from the verge with a shudder. From this height the land sloped downward at a sharp incline, and the cliff came to an end. Beyond this the coast was low and level, and a rough tract of sandy heath extended to the very edge of the sea. On the other side of this heathy waste glimmered the white walls of the Coast Guard station. Dr. Ollivant lingered on the height, looking dreamily across the wide calm blue of the summer sea, and thinking whether he had not made a mistake about his life after all. "'I have enclosed my life in too narrow a circle,' he thought. "'I have denied myself too many things.' all those things which other men consider the necessary embellishments of existence, and now I pay the price of my one-sidedness. At seven-and-thirty I am the slave of a girl, only at rest in her company, and yet not at rest even with her. A bitter end to high hopes, a barren reward for a youth of toil and patience. It did seem a hard thing to him that he who had asked so little of Providence, who had toiled so abundantly for the prizes he had wrested from fortune, should be denied this one boon. He only sighed for the affection of a gentle girl, not eminently beautiful, not richly gifted in mind or person, only to him the loveliest and dearest thing in the universe. To him and to his boundless love, fate denied her, and gave her to a man whose affection for her, even if he cared for her at all, was at best an ephemeral fancy, to be turned aside by the first temptation. The doctor had watched Walter Leyburn, and, without any knowledge of the man's life, knew enough of the man himself to be very sure that he had no absorbing love for Flora. But then, unhappily, she is in love with him, reflected Dr. Ollivant. I knew that it would be so the first time I saw them together. He walked slowly homeward. Hours were of little account to him at Branscombe, he had a volume of modern medicine, the last new ideas of Germany, in his pocket, but did not care to read to-day. For once in his life he was his own master, and tasted all the pleasures of idleness, or such pleasure as that idler tastes who walks with black care close behind him. 
the london post did not leave branscombe till six in the evening so there was plenty of time for the doctor to write his letters without unduly hastening his footsteps it was between two and three when he opened the gate of the cedars and walked across the grass to the open window of his own little sanctum wondering whether flora had yet appeared and if he had lost the delight of seeing her at luncheon that substantial midday meal would be over most likely by this time he paused on the threshold of the window by which he was in the habit of going in and out brought to a sudden standstill by the sound of one short sentence in mark chamney's voice the door between the two rooms was ajar and mark was speaking in tones that made every word audible if i had not thought that you were very fond of my little girl i should never have broached the subject he said as if any one could help being fond of her replied mr leyburne with the faintest suspicion of embarrassment in his accents it isn't possible to live with her and see her sweet nature and not admire and love her as had he been going to say as a sister but the eager father interrupted him as you do he exclaimed i was positive of it haven't i seen it in a thousand signs and tokens didn't i tell flora so you told her said the other and did she she was delighted my dear fellow she adores you you've nothing to fear in that quarter i think she was in love with you before i brought you into the house i remember how bright and happy the little puss was when i told her about our meeting at maravillas how she stood on tiptoe to kiss me as if i'd done something wonderfully clever and how she insisted upon going straight off in a cab to covent garden to buy fruit and flowers to make the table look pretty you're a happy fellow walter it is not one man in a hundred who gets such a wife as flora a fresh young soul pure as a little child spontaneous unselfish confiding i ought not to praise her so much perhaps because she's my own daughter but you're right walter who could live with her see her day by day with all her unconscious graces and not idolize her well i won't say any more about flora she is just what heaven made her untaught and unspoiled by the world i thank god heartily for having brought us all together for there is no one i would rather have for my son-in-law no one to whom i would rather leave my hard-won fortune than jack ferguson's nephew my dear mr chamney faltered the painter i know not how to be grateful enough for your regard your confidence be faithful to my child when these eyes can no longer see your love answered mark after a pause in which the two men had joined hands in friendship's cordial grasp be kind to her and true to her when i am gone god only knows how soon that day may come i have had many a warning to remind me that my time is short or i should hardly have spoken as i have to-day i hope you don't think i make my little girl cheap by speaking out so bluntly if i had not been certain about your feelings i should have held my tongue but i want to be very sure that my darling's future will be safe and happy before i lie down to take my last long rest i may trust you mayn't i walter if i have made any mistake if there is a shade of doubt or hesitation in your mind speak out i can bear my disappointment and my little girl is made of too sound a metal to break her heart because her first love dream may be nothing more than a dream i have no doubt no hesitation if i have ever wavered i shall waver no longer exclaimed walter with hearty eagerness which seemed sincere even to the ear of that pale and breathless listener standing by the half-open door i thank you with all my soul for your confidence continued the young man 
and it will go hard with me if i do not prove in some measure worthy of so great a trust god grant that you may live long enough to see that you have made no error in choosing me for the guardian of your darling's life all was settled dr ollivant gave one long sigh a sigh of farewell to hope pushed open the door and went into the dining-room where mr chamney and mr leyburne were still seated opposite each other at the luncheon-table i'm afraid the cutlets are cold ollivant said mark gaily but we'll soon get you a fresh supply ring the bell walter like a good fellow in the meantime you may congratulate me my dear doctor upon having settled a question that lies very near my heart a question which i have more than once discussed with you you need not explain replied the doctor i came in by the window of the study a few minutes ago and heard some part of your conversation enough to make me understand the position of affairs by this avowal dr ollivant in some degree protected himself from the degradation of having been a listener what you overheard us exclaimed mark astonished yes i did not like to interrupt mr leyburne's pretty speech just now so waited on the other side of the door till he had finished i congratulate you young gentleman and i trust you may be able to keep the promises you made so glibly i am not afraid of myself answered walter loftily however poor an opinion you may entertain of my merits and i really do not see that mr chamney's choice of a son-in-law is any business of yours unless indeed with a crushing sneer you had some idea of applying for the situation yourself that hypothesis is not impossible replied the doctor coolly but i have a better ground for my anxiety about miss chamney's happiness in the fact that until to-day i considered myself her future guardian and so you are said mark eagerly don't suppose that flora's marriage will make any difference in my wishes upon that point i am not going to trust this inexperienced young couple with full custody of their own fortunes flora's money shall be tied up as tightly as lawyers can tie it so that if walter likes to make ducks and drakes of john ferguson's savings mine shall give him and his wife an income no folly of theirs can alienate you shall be trustee to the marriage settlement you've no objection to dr ollivant in that capacity i suppose walter not the slightest though i must needs regret that i have not been so fortunate as to earn the doctor's good opinion my opinions are always liable to be modified or altered by time said dr ollivant frigidly he seated himself at the table drank a glass of claret and listened graciously while mr chamney unfolded his plans for the future walter sitting in the veranda outside smoking and only putting in a word now and then no schoolboy enraptured by the possession of his first watch his first gun or his first pony could have been more delighted than mark at having secured a happy future for his child he had no shadow of doubt as to the wisdom of his own plan all seemed clear to him now it would be hard to part with flora but to know her safe was to take the sting out of death they can begin housekeeping in fitzroy square he said it will only be for walter to move his painting-room from number eleven to number nine i'll make the house bright and pretty for them you're right cuthbert in what you once said about it it is a gloomy den for such an occupant as flora i'll have the principal rooms refurnished and keep the back drawing-room and the bedroom above it for my own hole you won't grudge me so much space in that big house will you leyburne i should be wretched if you thought of living anywhere else said walter from the veranda that's heartily spoken i should be miserable if you parted me from flora but i'm not going to be a prying old nuisance of a father-in-law 
i shall keep pretty close in my own den and by and by you can take flora to italy and show her all the wonders of the old world i promised myself that pleasure once i made up my mind baby and i would wander all over europe together and perhaps cross from naples to africa and have a peep at the moors but fate decreed otherwise i must be content to lie at ease on my sofa and smoke my cigar and follow your footsteps in my dreams there was a pathos in his resignation all the deeper from the cheeriness of his tone both his hearers were touched we shall be in no hurry to leave you sir even for the delight of seeing rome together said walter we how easily he uttered the plural pronoun how completely settled the matter seemed the doctor who had despised this young man's instability of character wondered at the change an hour had wrought in look tone and manner to-day walter leyburne seemed steadfast as a rock flora came in at this moment pale as her white muslin dress and with a pensive look that went to the doctor's heart that wild avowal of his had shaken her nerves nay agitated her soul to its utmost depths she had lain awake all night thinking of him wondering about him haunted by that last despairing look of his the gloomy darkness of his eyes just before he turned from her in the churchyard he had been subdued and calm enough afterwards but through all that long wakeful night she could not recall his face without that awful look that fixed and sullen agony of a soul without hope was this true love the best and noblest love that could be offered to a woman she told herself with a sigh that if it were she could never be truly loved by walter leyburne looking back at the past few months by the new light of that afternoon's revelation she could see that dr ollivant had always loved her better or at least loved her more deeply than his bright young rival walter had been kind enough and pleasant enough in his butterfly fashion but cuthbert ollivant's devotion had known no limit what dull evenings what monotonous days he had endured for her sake knowing no weariness while she was at his side how tender he had been towards her ignorance how patient a teacher how unselfish a friend she sighed as she recalled all his goodness sighed with pitying tenderness and wished there had been no such person as walter and that she could have rewarded that devoted love i would not have minded his being so old she said to herself i would have been his wife and daughter at once and would have thought a life of duty and obedience a poor payment for his goodness to papa and me unhappily mr leyburne did exist and his existence made up half the sum of flora's narrow world that pale look of hers this morning thrilled cuthbert ollivant's soul it told of sleeplessness and thought for his sake alas she knew not that her fate had been decided in her absence very soon that pallor would be changed for maiden blushes those sad eyes would brighten with a happy smile very soon would she have forgotten how to pity her rejected lover well my pet is the head better asked mark chamney and his daughter kissed him i hope i sent you up a nice breakfast very nice papa and substantial enough for a couple of ploughmen instead of one young lady with a headache but i ate a few of those magnificent strawberries and enjoyed them that's right darling the doctor brought those in from the village on purpose for you the basket was a perfect picture thank you dr ollivant how kind of you she said stealing a timid look at him it was so difficult to speak to him in the ordinary careless tones after that scene of yesterday 
"'You're sure your head is better?' Mark asked anxiously, still holding his daughter's hand. "'A little, Papa. Yes, nearly well. I think I had too much air and sunshine yesterday. It is only the birds who can bear the full glory of a midsummer day.' "'Go out and sit in the garden, baby. It's cool on the east side of the house. Laburn will read to you, I dare say,' suggested Mr. Chamney, smiling at his own finesse. "'What manoeuvring mother could have managed things better?' delighted said walter flinging his half-smoked cigar into blue space towards the seagulls what shall it be shelley or browning or walt whitman i suppose you wouldn't think it poetry if it was anything she could understand remarked mr chamney in my young days byron used to be good enough for people yes drawled walter there are people still living who think there are pretty bits in byron he remembered that first reading of the jower in Vosey Street and Lou's passionate burst of weeping. That strong verse, innocent of metaphysical depths of meaning or intricate entanglement of words, has a wonderful effect upon vulgar minds. Oh, Shelley, if you please, said Flora. She was at the age when Shelley is the most adorable of poets, when to sit in a garden above the sea and follow the pensive meanderings of that melodious verse is to be in paradise and if just the one dearest companion earth can give reads the musical lines in a low baritone shelley is twice shelley she kissed her father again looked into his face with fond anxiety and was cheered by its gladness you look so well to-day papa she exclaimed ever so much better than yesterday doesn't he dr ollivant i am better my dear replied mark not waiting for the doctor's opinion i never was better or more at ease in my life god bless you darling go and be happy with shelley she made the doctor a little curtsey of adieu and vanished through the open window taking the sunlight with her as it seemed to those two who remained in the room now ollivant i dare say you are going to pitch in to me said mark putting himself on the defensive as soon as dr ollivant and he were alone i am not going to do anything of the kind you have done what you thought wisest for your daughter's happiness can i complain if she is happy chapter seventeen note please forgive my pronunciation of the following quote das haseras dann liecher in dem leben hat keine regel kennen sang es brick sich sein gezet und seine tugend mit man darf es nicht mit örtchen wage messen man sollt es nicht mit örtchen schränken ein the reading of shelley ended as might have been foreseen by any reasonable person with full knowledge of the circumstances before he had gone very far into the misty labyrinth of epipsychidion walter laid down his book took flora's willing hand in his and asked her to be his wife it was all done in the simplest easiest way the young man indulged in no heroics he had been a great deal more eloquent that moonlight night on the kingston road where the mystic light and the ghostly whisper of the pines were natural aids and incentives to poetic expression he only told flora in the plainest words that she was the sweetest girl he had ever known and that he had her father's sanction for his wooing more than his sanction darling he said your father wishes it with all his heart but are you sure that you wish it walter asked flora earnestly it is just a romantic notion of papa's that you and i ought to be married because you are mr ferguson's nephew don't let papa's wish influence your conduct wait till your own heart speaks and if that remains silent let us be brother and sister to the end of our lives 
my heart spoke ever so long ago my heart has been continually speaking said walter very much in earnest at this moment he fully believed just now that he had never cared for any one but flora that his transient admiration of somebody else had been nothing more than an artist's worship of unconventional beauty flora you are not going to say no when every one wishes you to say yes you do care for me a little don't you pleaded the lover flora's eyes had been hidden till this moment hidden by the shadow of her little plumed hat but at this question she lifted her head and looked at the questioner shyly but with ineffable love in those clear truthful eyes yes i knew you loved me said walter putting his arm round her with the successful suitor's proprietorial air and kissing the fresh young lips a deliberate legitimate kiss not like that rifled kiss in the dark lane at thames ditton and now darling there is nothing to hinder our being married as soon as ever your papa likes we might spend our honeymoon on the shores of the mediterranean or among the ionian isles and take mr chamney with us so easy a journey as that could hardly hurt him and he would escape the fogs and east winds of an english autumn flora whose mind was not bound up in the garments she wore made no objection on the score of trousseau as most modern damsels with rich fathers would have done so these two children began to plan their future at once seated side by side on the grassy bank sheltered by sparse laurels and scanty firs with all the vast blue sea spread out before them dr ollivant bore the certainty of defeat with an external calmness which might have fairly been expected from his strong nature he saw flora and her lover together knowing that they were to be together for all the years to come and gave no sign of his agony he was more cordial in his manner to walter than he had ever been yet as if he were trying his hardest to like him to flora he was gentle courteous and paternal seeing him as he was now she could hardly believe that he was the same man who had pleaded his love with such passionate force in tadmer churchyard the dr ollivant of that never-to-be-forgotten hour had vanished like the spectral visitant of a dream she was grateful to him for his kindness and showed her gratitude by many little tokens of regard but she took care never to be alone with him even for a few minutes lest he should break out again he was no longer that strong rock of shelter in which she had confided as a bulwark of defence but a vesuvius liable to explode at any moment stoic as he might be the doctor did not think fit to prolong the task of endurance farther than was needful to give decency to his departure he felt that he would be better in the vault-like study in wimpole street walled in with books feeding on the dry bones of science or dining in the gloomy dining-room with all the memorials of long sutton around him all eloquent of his joyless boyhood from the portrait of his father seated at a table with a stethoscope and a surgical instrument case at his elbow and the regulation crimson curtain behind him to the brass-bound sarcophagus in which his thrifty mother kept the decanters he announced his departure for the second day after that of the betrothal much to mark's regret what a bird of passage you are cuthbert he exclaimed i thought you meant to stop ever so much longer my dear chamney you forget the impatience of patients who get that name like the groves a non lucendo i should pass into the herd of unfashionable physicians before the year was out if i abandoned my consulting-room any longer for the rest he added in a tone that was almost gay i shall be ready to assume any responsibility that you like to inflict upon me in regard to miss chamney's settlement miss chamney flora if you prefer it said the doctor hardly daring to pronounce that name lest his accent should betray him he could not breathe her christian name without a tender cadence in the syllables 
and whenever the wedding-day is fixed you may command my attendance thanks dear old fellow but i'm not the less sorry to lose you now as the distance to the goal shortens one clings more kindly to one's travelling companions i suppose my little girl will be married in london at st pancras perhaps a big cheerless temple for a quiet little wedding but it will do i dare say she'll want to buy gowns and things what you call a trousseau curious that a woman about to marry should deem it necessary to provide herself with a pile of garments as big as a haystack as if she cherished the conviction that her husband would never give her any clothes the custom is convenient when the brokers come in within the first year of the marriage said the doctor placidly it provides something to be seized and gives tone to the statement of the husband's assets the next day was dr ollivant's last at branscombe and promised to be a blank and dreary day for mr chamney had one of those intervals of prostration which were too common to him now and flora spent the morning by her father's sofa reading to him or watching him in his brief and fitful slumbers the two visitors therefore were flung upon their own resources for amusement the weather was divine true midsummer weather with a high cloudless sky and the balmiest west wind that ever fluttered the tresses of the sea-nymphs the doctor and mr leyburne sauntered forth in a purposeless manner and with tacit agreement to avoid each other took separate ways the painter went down to the beach to finish that little picture he was painting for mr chamney the doctor strolled through the village took a long round inland and returned to the coast by narrow field paths which led him to that wilder region which had pleased his fancy when he discovered it two days ago he had walked a long way before he came to the spot where the dark red cliffs rose highest and it was between two and three o'clock in the afternoon he had been thinking deeply throughout that solitary ramble doing battle with his weak heart and he felt himself in some measure victorious in that mental struggle it was easier to fight the battle now that all was settled all the possibilities which exist while a question is yet undecided ended for ever he schooled himself to think of flora's marriage as an event that must take place very soon he pictured to himself their future relations he the grave friend and adviser guardian of her material welfare sponsor to her first-born he could not imagine that inevitable future without a pang but he told himself these things must be and that he must be less than a man if he did not face these contingencies in a manly spirit to think that i who have written on cardiac diseases should suffer my heart to be racked by that disease called love hopeless love for a girl of nineteen at the highest point of the cliff there was a straggling hedge dividing two fields on one side a wide sweep of fallow on the other a stretch of feathery oats the doctor tired with seven or eight miles hard walking laid himself down to rest on a low bank under the shelter of this hedge and had soon dozed off into that light noonday slumber in which the hum of the summer insects the flutter of leaves the deep-toned murmur of the sea are pleasantly audible to the sleeper he hears the harmony of the universe and fancies himself lying in the lap of nature soothed by her tender cradle-song but a harsher sound than the silver-clear note of the skylark in the blue vault above presently startled the doctor from his slumber a voice which he knew raised angrily exclaiming it's a lie is it asked another voice in a still harsher tone a voice whose quality was somewhat rough and husky as if with too much tobacco and too much strong drink where is she then what have you done with her what have you done with my daughter cuthbert ollivant started to his feet pale and eager and looked to see whence the voices came two men were walking along the edge of the cliff a few paces in front of him 
they must have passed close to him as he lay asleep under the hedge one was walter leyburne the other a man who looked half gipsy half seaman roughly clad and with a bold swaggering walk this was all dr ollivant could see as the man walked in front of him he followed within earshot he had no doubts as to his justification in hearing what this stranger had to say to walter leyburne he had heard enough to justify his listening to the rest you have no occasion to be alarmed said walter coolly you need give yourself no uneasiness about the daughter to whom you were so indulgent a father so devoted a protector she is in safe keeping yes i've no doubt of it answered the other with a harsh laugh in uncommonly safe keeping wherever she is i recognize no right of yours to question me about her or to follow her when you turned her out of doors that night you forfeited all claim to her love or duty or obedience i should never have turned her out if i hadn't had good reason for it you can't suppose it didn't go against me as a father to do such a thing there wasn't a better girl than our loo in all boise street till you came about us industrious hard-working an affectionate daughter and a thoroughly respectable young woman but from the time you crossed her path she was ruined lolloping about with a book in her lap every spare minute she could get sitting up late at nights and souring the old lady's temper by burning the candles there were plenty of people in voysey street to see the change and some of em friendly enough to give me a word of honest advice about it are you blind jared they said can't you see what's going on but even when they spoke out plain about you and lou it didn't frighten me i know he's a noble-hearted fellow and a thorough gentleman said i if he pays our lou attentions that can only be paid by a lover he means fair and he'll make a lady of her i'm not afraid of him he's as true as steel that's what i said mr leyburne come now don't prove me a liar after all i've travelled all the way from london to ask you a plain question do you mean to make an honest woman of my daughter are you going to marry her walter's reply was in a lower key and the doctor was not near enough to hear it but the stranger's answer to that speech which seemed long and deliberate came in a voice of thunder blackguard and profligate he cried with a threatening motion of his clenched fist i'll have it out of you somehow you carry it off with a high hand but you haven't seen the last of jared gurner for a moment his attitude looked as if he meant violence but in the next he turned sharply away and ran along the cliff and down the incline that led to the sand-hills and firs bushes by the sea walter had kept his ground like a rock ready for the worst he watched the man's vanishing figure and then turned slowly and confronted dr ollivant do you join the profession of spy to your more orthodox avocations dr ollivant he asked after a movement of surprise i am glad to say that i heard every syllable your companion spoke to you after you passed that hedge replied the doctor i congratulate you upon having acquired so much enlightenment about my affairs i have learned just this much about you enough to justify me in using my strongest endeavours to prevent your marriage with flora chamney what you mean to interfere do you not content with putting your grip upon the young lady's fortune you want to get the young lady herself do you think i haven't seen your drift from the first and you would like to avail yourself of a disreputable ruffian's random charge in order to set mr chamney against me a clever game dr ollivant i repeat what the man said to you blackguard and profligate said the doctor livid with anger 
he knew not that in his rage there was any more personal feeling than righteous indignation against a hardened and heinous sinner from the first i have known you to be unworthy of miss jamney i have known you to be fickle and unstable blowing hot and cold but so long as i knew no more against you than this i held my tongue do you think i shall be silent now now that i know you varied your courtship of miss jamney by the seduction of a humbler victim no liar no seducer shall marry mark jamney's daughter while i have breath to denounce him walter had heard mr gurner's abuse with supreme indifference but dr ollivant's reproaches stung him keenly this last insult seemed the culmination of a series of wrongs the doctor had been his secret foe from the first had underrated his talents denied his genius been his silent and stealthy competitor for flora's love that word liar was just too much for mortal patience walter raised the light cane he carried and brought it down within an inch of dr ollivant's face then all cuthbert ollivant's secret jealousy and hatred the smothered fire that had consumed his breast so long blazed out the doctor seized his assailant with the grip of a tiger i repeat what i have said he cried liar seducer charlatan you shall never be flora's husband the words came hoarsely from those breathless lips came in the midst of a scuffle the doctor wrestled the painter made free use of his fists for some moments walter had the best of it till feeling himself losing ground the doctor called science to his aid and planted a blow on his antagonist's temple which sent walter reeling backwards helpless and unconscious reeling backwards on the sunburnt slippery sward that edged the cliff backwards until with a wild cry of horror the doctor saw him sink below the verge cuthbert ollivant stood on the cliff alone staring into space convulsed by the horror of that moment could his outstretched arm have saved a life had he the man of iron nerve failed in this one dread crisis in the common attribute of presence of mind he stepped close to the edge and looked down the red rough earth was loosened and broken and a good deal of it had fallen with the falling man there he lay at the foot of the cliff half buried in that loose red clay barely a distinguishable object from the height whence dr ollivant beheld him dead of course thought the doctor with a pang he hurried down the incline of the cliff it took him a long way from that prostrate figure yet was his only road to the beach his only way of getting to the place where walter lay Halfway down the descent he met the stranger running to meet him how did it happen he asked is he dead cried the doctor dead as nebuchadnezzar how did he fall did you pitch him over demanded jared in the most friendly manner as if to throw a young man over a cliff was one of those errors to which the best of natures are liable we had a scuffle he attacked me not i him i held my ground as long as i could without striking him then finding he was savage enough to do me serious harm i gave him a blow on the temple that stunned him he reeled backwards the grass is slippery yes interrupted jared coolly that's the wisest way of putting it what do you mean fellow i have told you nothing but the truth it would ill become me to say you haven't replied jared apologetically but coroners and jurymen have more speculative minds than mine they will go into probabilities and they might take it into their heads to disbelieve that account of yours they might call this little business manslaughter or if they happen to be a pig-headed lot of country shopkeepers murder they can call it what they choose 
i can only tell them the same story i have told you let me pass if you please i want to see if there is anything to be done for that young man yes there's a coffin to be made for him and an inquest to be held upon his remains that's about all i believe unless you mean to give him the luxury of a tombstone how do you know that he is dead asked the doctor irresolutely curious and intricate questions were beginning to revolve themselves in his mind it would not be a nice thing to stand accused of this young man's death to find his truthful statement of facts scouted as the veriest fable but worse than trial by jury or the pains and penalties of the law would be flora's loathing flora who would believe him the assassin of her lover the desolator of her glad young life how do i know that he is dead echoed jared scornfully by all the signs and tokens of death glazing eyes a heart that has stopped beating livid lips do you suppose he had any chance of life as much as one in a million when he fell over that cliff come now sir you take my advice i am a man of the world a man who has been knocked about by the world and who knows how blessed ready the world is to drop down upon a man if once he puts himself in the wrong take my advice and keep this business as quiet as you can it's uncommonly lonely about here and i don't think there's much chance of people passing along the beach before the tide is in it'll be close up to the cliff in a quarter of an hour i should think by the look of it once the tide is in you're safe the body may be brought in by another tide or picked up at sea but there'll be nothing to connect you with the body there's nothing to connect me with it now said the doctor thoughtfully he was evidently impressed by jarrett's suggestion except humanity but there'll be plenty of evidence against you if you go down yonder and potter about trying to bring the dead back to life why are you so concerned for my safety asked dr ollivant you who are a stranger to me out of common humanity or if you don't think that motive strong enough for a man of the world i'll go a step farther and confess that i should be glad to do a service for a gentleman who may be able to serve me in return i'm a friendless vagabond and wouldn't stick at a trifle to do a friendly turn to a man who would be grateful for a kindness suppose i refuse your intervention not seeing my need of your help in that case i shall tell my own story about that young man's death and it may not happen to be quite so favourable to the idea of your innocence as your own account of the business you mean that you would swear to a lie to get me hung by no means i should only describe what i saw and heard from the beach just now how i heard voices yours raised in anger heard you declare that mr leyburne should not marry miss chamney while you had power to prevent him i'll swear to that speech through thick and thin then came hurried footsteps on the cliff above me like the steps of struggling men one of them fighting for his life and then i saw walter leyburne hurled over the edge of the cliff he fell almost at my feet stone dead all the cross-questioning of all the old bailey lawyers at the bar wouldn't make me alter a syllable of that statement a damaging statement for dr ollivant assuredly and difficult of disproof there was so large an element of truth in it come said jarred reassuming his friendly air as if he had known the doctor twenty years and had always been attached to him you'd better treat the business like a man of the world it was an unlucky slip and you're very sorry for it but there's no use in crying over spilt milk ten minutes more and the tide'll be up and before an hour is over that poor young fellow will be carried out to sea quietly and comfortably you go home to your friends dr ollivant the quicker the better 
so that you may be in a position to prove an alibi if mr leyburne should have been seen about the cliffs by any one how come you to know my name asked the doctor suspiciously i've heard it many a time i was a friend of young leyburne's till he led my daughter wrong and i know all about you and the young lady in fitzroy square i've been living in branscombe village for the last two days waiting for a quiet opportunity to speak to my young gentleman and i've seen you all together come there's no time to lose i must run back to the beach and watch you're going home aren't you yes i suppose that's the best thing i can do since there's nothing to be done for him pointing towards the beach you can call on me in wimpole street some day and claim payment for your silence jared ran back to the beach as fast as his feet could carry him the doctor glanced seaward with a thoughtful eye the tide was rolling in but not so fast as jared had asserted it would be an hour yet before that spot where the prostrate figure lay among the crumpled earth would be covered by deep water the doctor looked at his watch not yet four o'clock great heaven how brief the time since he had lain down to rest under the hedge and how the whole aspect of his life was changed by that one hour there was no such person in the world as walter leyburne that question which he had so often asked himself which he had asked of flora whether he might not have won her save for this rival must now be answered by the future death had cleared the ground for him it was for him to make good use of his opportunity he walked homeward heavily burdened with care yet with a guilty joy in the thought that the marriage he had dreaded could never take place that he should never be called upon to bless walter leyburne's wife he loved too strongly to be merciful or even just in his heart of hearts he was glad of that fatal chance which had ended the painter's brief day of betrothal it was his own fault he thought i was not to be felled like an ox by the mere brute force of a detected scoundrel he knew he was guilty and that made my reproaches hit all the harder thank god i overheard that conversation and discovered the fellow's worthlessness before it was too late to save flora thank god even for his awful death if that alone could save her from alliance with a profligate it seemed to cuthbert ollivant that the direct action of providence was visible in all that had happened hardly anything less than walter leyburne's death would have cured flora's infatuation the strongest evidence that could have been brought before her would have failed to convince her of his unworthiness to her he would ever remain the splendid abstraction of a girl's first love dream as incapable of any wrong deed as that cold perfection a statue is incapable of descending from its pedestal but he was gone she might give him her tears her regrets enshrine him in the temple of her memory but she could not give him herself there was boundless comfort in that thought new hope sprung up a titan not that feeble hope of the past dr ollivant forgot how much longer a woman grieves for the love she has lost untimely than for the love she has won and worn out like a threadbare garment till the vanishing of the silken woof reveals the coarser thread of the warp End of chapter 16 and 17